Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, I've Been Set Free. All right, well, last week, if you were with us, you remember that we talked about a spiritual reality. We talked about the spiritual reality of our unity with Jesus Christ, that when we turn from our sins and when we received Christ as our Savior and Lord, we actually became one. We were baptized, immersed, united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so if this is you, this is Christ, when you were converted to Christ, the Holy Spirit took you, your spirit, and immersed it or joined it, united it with the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so when Christ died, you died. In the eternal counsels of God, when Christ died, you died. When Christ was buried, you were buried. And when Christ rose again, you absolutely rose again. So we should be walking in newness of life. And so what happened inside of us spiritually, of course, is illustrated outwardly through believer's baptism or water baptism. And so that's great news, but the good news doesn't end there. So when we received Christ, something else happened concerning our position in God or our position before God. So if you're taking notes, here's your first point. And that is before Christ, we were under the law, but now we are under what? Grace. Very important. John talks about how the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, of course, in Paul's day, the Jews were under the law, right? And so um, those Jews uh, made sure they were circumcised the eighth day. They made sure that they kept the Sabbath every single week, sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday, no work allowed. Not only that, they made sure that they kept a kosher diet. They made sure that they kept the Jewish feast days, okay? But uh, what happened was that um, these Jews, many of these Jewish people, were trying to establish their own righteousness through the law. They were trying uh, to please God, establish their self-righteousness by keeping a set of rules before God, thinking that that's how they would be justified. So what I know in, in our day-to-day -day is that many of us were the same way. We may not have been reading Leviticus, trying to figure out how, how to please God, but we still thought in our minds that we could save ourselves through our good works. And so like a kid out in a park, you know, I've used this illustration before, a little kid at the park standing underneath the chin-up bar, and the little kid jumping up and trying to reach that chin-up bar, we were the same way in our lives, many of us. We, we, we thought that, you know, if I can just be good enough, then God will accept me. If I can just turn over a new leaf, if I can just try harder, you know, go through some type of moral reform, then God will accept me. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because we heard finally the, the, the news, the truth of Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 says this. All have sinned and, listen, fallen short of the glory of God. 
And so as we heard this gospel, right, bad news first, then good news, as we heard this gospel, we heard the bad news that because of our sin, it didn't matter how many good deeds we ever tried to do in our life, there's nothing we could do ever to reach God's standard of righteousness. By the way, do you guys know what God's standard of righteousness is, right? It's perfection. God's serious about his law. God created us, and he said, okay, I want you to live this way. But all of us, not some of us, all of us have sinned, and the wages of sin is what? Death. Okay, that's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came on a rescue mission. He came to this earth, and he lived the life you and I could never live. That means that he kept God's law perfectly, and then he died the death that you and I should have died. Right? The wage of sin is death. Jesus didn't want us to die, eternal separation from God. He came, and he died in our place. He took God's wrath. Then the third day, he rose again, showing to the entire world throughout all history that he is Lord. And so here's what happens, that when we turn from our sins and we turn to Christ in faith, then he justifies us just as if we've never sinned. He declares that we're righteous. In other words, Jesus comes up to us, and we're trying to reach the chin-up bar, and he takes us as we turn to him in faith. And he lifts us up to a place we could never reach on our own. He says, you're justified, you're forgiven, you're pardoned because you've put your faith in me. And you're not just justified by faith. You are sanctified by faith. In other words, throughout your life, as you trust me, as you rely on me, as you realize, listen to this, that the power in you, the power of Christ, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. As you realize that, I will help you by my spirit to live the life. One, two, three, and that's what the Lord does for us. God is a good God, so we're not, we're not under the law trying to get to God through our own self-righteousness. We're under grace. Because of God's grace, Jesus lifts us up and he enables us to reach that standard because he lived the life we could never live. Does this, this, does this make sense to you guys? Such good news. But it begs a question. And the question is this. Okay, now that we're under grace, so now that we're not, no longer under the law, does that mean that we don't have to concern ourselves with obedience or righteousness or holiness? Now that we're no longer under the law, we're not under the law, does that mean that we can kind of do whatever we want to do? Now, if you were here last week, you know that Paul already answered that question. You remember in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, just look at it by way of review, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Help me out with the next two words. Certainly not. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live, it, live any longer in it? So Paul's already answered the question. But in classic Pauline fashion, this is what Paul did, he would repeat the truth over and over and over again because he knows that we have spiritually dull hearts, 
We have thick heads, so he keeps repeating it and repeating it. And so once again, okay, we pick it up in verse 15 this morning. Look at verse 15. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Help me out, please, with the next two words. Same answer. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to what? Or of obedience leading to what? Okay, so Paul was saying, hey, now that we're under grace, it doesn't mean we have a license to sin. And so why in the world would anybody choose that kind of lifestyle anyway? Look at the motivation he gives us again in verse 16. Here's some great motivation for not to choose a, a sinful lifestyle. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves? Anybody want to be a slave? You are that one's slaves whom you obey. So if you're taking notes, here's your next point. We're slaves to whatever we yield to in life. If I regularly yield to my appetite for junk food, then I am a slave to that junk food. If around lunchtime, I'm sitting there at work, and all of a sudden I think, Bacon double cheeseburger, <laughs> large fries, large Coke, chocolate milkshake to go. And if I regularly say, fast food restaurant, here I come, right, then I am a slave to junk food. You say, how do you know? Because we're slaves to whatever we yield to in life. Somebody says, well, I can stop whenever I want. Yeah, right. That's why you spent how much money on junk food last month? How many times have you hit the drive-thru uh, this past week? And so if you're not careful, that junk food may eventually kill you. Look at verse 16 again. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you're that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness, okay? And so just like too much junk food will eventually lead to death, so sin will eventually lead to death. But somebody says, but Pastor Mike, sin is so much fun. I'm not gonna disagree with you. Right? The Bible is not even gonna disagree with you. The Bible teaches that sin is pleasurable. But it doesn't end there. It says sin is pleasurable for a season. You see, here's the principle. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but it always leads to a place that you don't want to go. So that bacon double cheeseburger, right? Can you guys see it in front of you? I don't want to make anybody leave early today. But there it is, and, and you bite into it. And it feels so good when you first bite into it, doesn't it? It's like, hmm. Well, how do you feel 30 minutes later? <laughs> and if you keep eating those things, you're going to be on the floor clutching your heart. 
Now, I'm not saying that bacon double cheeseburgers are sin, okay? But let me illustrate it this way. Alcohol. Alcohol seems like a great way to relax. But if you keep drinking, you will become addicted. You may even be... You may even develop cirrhosis of the liver, and worst of all, you may hurt or kill somebody out on I-95. You see, sin is pleasurable in the beginning. I just want to relax a little bit. But it always leads to a place that you don't want to go. Drugs seem like a great way to escape, right? But every drug user knows that the longer you're using drugs, you need to take more hits to achieve the same high, and, and pretty soon, you're in bondage. It started off, I just want to escape. It's pleasurable for a season, but it always leads to a place you don't want to go. Casual sex may seem like so much fun until you get pregnant out of wedlock. You contract a sexually transmitted disease. Pornography, right? It's, it's, it's a cancer in the church. Somebody says, Pastor Mike, you bring up pornography so much. It's because it's a cancer in the church. And I know the statistics, both with men and with women. And one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, why men do not step up in their families and in their church and be the leaders that God's called them to, to, to be is because they feel so much guilt and shame because they're addicted to porn. And so pornography may seem like a harmless way, right, to satisfy our sexual appetite. But now our minds are filled with these immoral images that just won't go away. And because we continued in it, now the chemicals in our brain have been altered. So it's no longer a spiritual problem. Now it's also a biological problem. Sin is pleasurable for a little while. It always leads to a place. You don't want to go. Venting your anger feels so good at the time. Man, he had it coming to him. Oh, whew, I feel good. You hurt the person. Sharing that juicy piece, that morsel of gossip. Hey, guess what I just heard? Now, don't repeat this, okay? And, ooh, it just feels good, doesn't it? Mm, yeah until that person that you're talking about behind their back finds out and now you've ruined a relationship. Always buying what's bigger and better. Feels so good, doesn't it? Man, I'm tired of this house. I want another house over in this neighborhood. It's, it's nicer and I want, I'm tired of this car. I know I've only had it for two years, but they just made a new one. And so, hey, it's pleasurable for a season, but now you're so far in debt, you can't even see straight. Okay, I think you guys got it by now. Sin may be pleasurable for a season. It leads to a place you don't want to go. And according to verse 16, if it's left unchecked, it will lead to death. Here's what I believe. If you're a true born-again Christian and you decide to go down the road of a sinful lifestyle, what God may do, he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, but he may decide to take you home early. He may decide to put you on the shelf as an act of grace so you don't get even worse down that road. And if you haven't had a genuine conversion, here's what I know what will happen as you continue in that lifestyle and sin. It will absolutely eventually lead 
in spiritual death. By the way, it's not annihilation. It's eternal separation from God. And so you gotta ask yourself, is it worth it? The next time you're tempted, just as you're facing that temptation, right, just ask yourself, do I want that to be my master? Do I really want junk food to be my master? I can't control it anymore? Do I really want alcohol to be my master in life? Do I really want weed to be my master? Do I really want porn to be my master? Do I want to be a slave to this stuff, to materialism? No, Jesus, I know you live in me. I know last week, you know, it said right there that the, the same power that raised you from the dead is inside of me. God, help me. I'm asking for your help and your power right now. He'll show up. And that supernatural power within you, that will become your master, Jesus. And you can become his slave and find great fulfillment in life. Look at verse 17. He says, but God be thanked that though you, what's the word? Were, were, okay? Though you were slaves of sin. Okay, everybody look at me real quick. Okay, so this is how it's supposed to be according to Paul's letter to the Romans. B.C. days, before Christ, slave of sin. I've met Jesus Christ, and now all of a sudden, I've been set free. I'm not perfect, but I've been set free. Here's what I've observed, uh, observed in pastoral ministry. B.C. days, I'm a slave to sin. I believe in Christ. I'm a slave to sin. <laughs> it's not supposed to be that way. He says, such were Right, some of you, you were slaves of sin, yet, look at verse 17 halfway down, you obeyed, and I want you to circle the three words, from the heart. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. In other words, which was delivered to you. Okay, form of doctrine, teaching, is simply the gospel. In the context, it's Romans 4 and 5. It's the gospel of grace. And so, Check it out, from the heart. That's the key there. And then when you've obeyed the gospel from the heart, verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Here's your next point. When we obey the gospel, please help me out with the next three words. From our hearts. We were set free from sin and we became slaves of righteousness. From the heart, whole heartedly. In other words, I was genuine. In other words, I wasn't faking it. You know, I'm so burdened. I, I shared this with one of our elders at our elders dinner last night. I'm burdened because I think there's people in our church and they haven't experienced a genuine conversion. Oh, I said a little prayer when I was in ninth grade, but my life remains unchanged. No, don't deceive yourself. You need a genuine conversion. You need to obey the gospel from your heart. That's the key. You see, a lot of people have a head knowledge. They don't have a heart knowledge. A lot of people know about Christ, but they don't know Christ. Some people are baptized as a baby and confirmed as a teenager, but there's no change of heart leading to a change of life, and so there's no genuine conversion. And likewise, okay, to be fair to our Catholic friends, in evangelical churches, you may raise a hand, you may walk in aisle, but if there's no change of heart, 
leading to a change of life, there's no genuine conversion. But here's what I know, because I've been doing this for a while. Sometimes people have to hit rock bottom before they finally have a genuine conversion. It's amazing to me as I was studying this text this past week how the story of the prodigal son fits the rest of chapter six like hand in glove. So I'm sure most of you have heard this story before, but you remember the prodigal son decided he wanted to experience the world on his own. And so he went to his dad, and he was very arrogant. Dad, I want my portion of the inheritance early. I want it now. Give me my inheritance. Now, how many of you dads would have been really hurt if your son did something like that to you? And so the, this dad's hurt, and yet he gave his son his portion of, of his inheritance. And so here's the son. Woo! We're in the money, right? And so he's got this big inheritance, and he packs his bags, and he's on his way to a faraway country. And I can hear him now, I'm free, finally free, right? Maybe he's doing a little tap your, your heels as he's walking down to the faraway country. I'm free, I'm free. Okay, question, was he really free? Hey, he may have been free from his father. He may have been free from his father's rules, but he was still absolutely a slave to his own sinful heart. And the way we know that is because as you continue to read Jesus' parable, he wasted all of his inheritance on wild living. He spent it all on prostitutes and partying. And so, you say, how bad did it get? This is how bad it got. A severe famine hits the country where this young man went, and he's wasted all of his money, all, all of it. The inheritance is gone and work is hard to find. The only job he can find is as a farmhand, and he's actually feeding slop to pigs. Now, listen, that's low, especially if you're Jewish. And so Jesus, talking about how low this guy went, said, and I quote in Luke 15, 16, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the slop that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Can you guys imagine being so hungry that there you are, leaning against the fence of the pig pen, and there's all these pigs, and they're eating the slop, and you're so hungry, you actually start to think, man, that actually looks pretty good. Move over, Wilbur, right? I'm getting in there. <sighs> That's a low point in life. He finally hit rock bottom. But it wasn't until he lost all his money. He was broke. Nobody gave him anything, by the way. By the way, some of you guys are giving money and support to people who are in an active, sinful lifestyle walking away from God. You need to stop enabling them so they can hit rock bottom. They'll never repent if you keep keeping them afloat. That was for free, okay? But back to my notes. Okay, Jesus said, finally when he was broke, finally when he was eating pig slop, he came to himself. He came to his senses. It finally dawned on him, man, life was better with dad. I need to go back. Maybe he'll make me a servant. That leads you to your next point. If 
you're taking notes, it's better to be a servant in a father's house than a slave to sin. How many of you guys would rather be a servant in the father's house than a slave to some sin, right? And so it dawns on him. Man, life was so much better back with dad. There was so much more freedom back with dad. I'm going back to dad. And so he turned around and he headed back to his father. Now, there's a big controversy within churches about this word repentance, and so theologians over here are debating theologians over here. I don't think you need to get that deep. The word repentance in the Greek is metanoia, and it means a change of mind. That's all it means. Repentance, change of mind. But here's what I believe. It's a change of mind that always manifests itself in a change of direction. Always. Don't tell me you prayed to receive Christ when you were in ninth grade, but your life never changed. That's not repentance. A true coming to your senses, a true change of mind. Listen, the, the, the prodigal son was going this way, wasting all his money on prostitutes and partying. He, was, he, hit, he hit rock bottom. Then he came to his senses. Then he had a change of mind. And guess what? It led to a change of direction. He turned around and started walking back to his father's house. This is the best part of the story. And there's dad, as the son is still far away from the home, and dad is standing out on the hill, and he's looking, looking. So beautiful, such a beautiful picture to me. This father loved his son so much in spite of his son's sin. He's looking, he's looking, and then all of a sudden he sees his son on the horizon. I know that walk. That's my boy. And this dignified father literally took his robe and pulled it, girded himself. He pulled it up so he could run. And this guy started running to his boy. He didn't care about his dignity. His boy was back. And there he is. Can you see it? He, he runs up to him, gives him a big bear hug, starts kissing him all over, right? And he's so happy that his son is home. That's such a beautiful picture of our heavenly father. Parents, some of you are blowing it because your attitude towards your kids is always, and then, what are you doing? That's not, you're not reflecting the heart of your father. The father ran to him, hugged him, kissed him. Even though this kid turned his back on his dad, embarrassed his dad, blew all of his money on wild living. I don't care. It's my boy. That's love. Only God can give you that kind of love in your heart. If you're a parent, you need to stop doing this all the time. You need to start giving them hugs and lifting them up and encouraging them. So the father says to the servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Why? For this son was dead, he's alive again. He was lost, he's found, and they began to make merry. What an incredible father. What a loving, generous, gracious father. Who wouldn't want to serve that guy? And what a picture of our heavenly father who's so loving and so gracious and has the exact same heart. Why, 
don't you want to serve him? Who wouldn't serve a God like that? It's better to be a servant in the Father's house than a slave to sin. Now look at 19. Paul's words continue to fit so well into this story. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, Paul says, you know, I've got to use this illustration of slaves and masters. Um, I've got to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf because I know you're, you're, you're dull of heart, and so I'm going to keep using this illustration. For just as you presented your members, that's the members of your body, as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of what? For what? Now that I'm not, not under the law, do I have to be worried about righteousness and holiness? Do I have to really concern myself about that? Yeah. Yeah. That's the right response to grace. That's the right response to love. Not because we're trying to save ourselves. No. We've already been through Romans 1 through 5. Okay? We got that in our heads. Now the response to this amazing gift of God's abundant grace is I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be righteous with the help of the Holy Spirit inside of me. I don't care if people laugh at me. Oh, holy Joe, whatever. Who cares? They're on their way to hell. I don't care what they think. All I care about is what my daddy in heaven thinks. He's the one I'm trying to please. <laughs> Holiness is a good word. Righteousness is a good word. And so, man, the prodigal son, he presented himself as a slave on un, of uncleanness. He's going down this wrong road, parties, prostitutes, right? He surrendered his members as members to uncleanness, but then he had a genuine conversion, and that led to him turning around and going back, and, and then what did he do? He presented his members to his father as I want to be your servant. He presented his members as a slave of righteousness. We have to do the same. Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves, and by the way, were, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you were free from any concern of doing what's right. You didn't care. Okay, but what was the result of that? Verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now, what's the word? Shamed. By the way, some of you who give your testimony, you need to stop bragging about all your sin and the details of all your sin. You know, we're ashamed of the way we were. And he says, for the end of those things is what? Death. And so when the prodigal son was wasting his inheritance on wild living, right, he had no concern for doing what's right. That's what Paul was saying in verse 20. But then after his genuine conversion, which led to him turning around and going back to the father, okay, now all of a sudden, he's got a different lifestyle. Now before, right, he did all these things, and now that he's back with dad, He's ashamed of those things. That's what he's, Paul's talking about in verse 21. He thought while he was on the road to the far country, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. 
But was he free? No, oh, he was a slave. He was a slave to sin. I, I'm, I'm, it's so ironic to me, right, when Christians say, I don't want to be a Christian, I don't want to follow the Bible, right, because that, that lifestyle is just too restrictive. I want to be free, right? You say, what's that in your hand? It's my beer. Well, how many have you had? What's it your business for? What? They get all offended. Why do you care, right? <laughs> you want to be free? You're not free. You're a slave. You're a slave to a bottle. Hey, can we be honest this morning? Just be genuine before the Lord. What is this? What is this getting all offended when a pastor brings up alcohol anyway? We're supposed to be free. Right? I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to follow the Bible. I just want to be free. You know, it's just like, oh, you're free. Wow, awesome. I want to be just like you. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to follow the Bible. Every night, click. Wow, look at her. Wow. Click. Next night, click. Ooh. Wife's gone to bed. Click. Ooh. You're not free. Who are you fooling? It's time to have a genuine conversion. It's time to come to your senses. It's time to realize that it'd be better for you to be a servant in your father's house than a slave to some stupid sin. It's time to surrender your life to Christ. It's time for some of you. It's time. And you can get mad at me, and you can send me emails, and you can get all upset, right? And because you just want to, you know, I like my sin. No, I don't want to do this. Well, well, fine. That's your choice. But, man, here's what you need to know. I'm telling you up ahead. We will all stand before the Lord, and we will absolutely give an account for our lives. It's so much better if you get things right today and try and explain things later. And by the way, before you decide, I don't want any of this, I don't want to follow Christ, I don't want to obey his word, you need to think about how your choice is going to affect you 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now. That's your last point, by the way. Think long term before you choose to live for yourself. That's what wise people do. You know, stupid people think Short-term, sin's pleasurable, I'm diving in. They're not even thinking about down the road. But wise people, they think long-term. And so if I decide to live a, walk away from Christ and live this sinful lifestyle, okay, if I decide to do that, what fruit, verse 21, what fruit is that gonna manifest down the road? Alcoholism, drug addiction, a sexual addiction, an STD, an unwanted pregnancy, a divorce, a broken family, little kids in their bedroom crying because dad or mom left and they think it's their fault? Is that what you want? A prison record? Isolation and loneliness in your later years because your adult kids don't want anything to do with you? 
And here's the thing, some of you guys are, are listening to that list and you're thinking, Pastor Mike, on some of those, I'm already there. Good news, God's not doing this, he's doing this. Come on back, come on back. Last two verses, verse 22, but now, having been set free from sin, that's the power of Christ coming inside of you. Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end of that is, help me out, everlasting life. Do you see how it produces holiness? A true conversion produces holiness. And again, you don't work at holiness to earn heaven. No, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the, what's the word? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. A genuine conversion will set you free. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.